0: Welcome to Before You Go, I'm Bryant Monte.
1: And I'm Nicole Franklin. And to our listeners for this episode, we want to keep our seniors in mind who are going through some really tough times later in life.
0: That's right, Nicole. I was talking to one of my aunts, and that's one of my mother's sisters, who just You know, I called her up and told her happy birthday. She just had a birthday recently. Happy birthday! I won't say how old she is because she might be listening. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in our conversation, we talked a little bit about a little bit about homelessness when it comes to seniors, and I just it really grabbed me thinking about people who are in their seventies, eighties, and older who might not have a place to stay. Um, So I thought we would definitely target. This dilemma within not just in L.A., but every city in the country, it seems like. So today we have someone who has dedicated his life to help those who have no home. So our guest today is Reverend Andy Bales of Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles.
1: Yes, and um, Reverend Andy Bales is very, very busy uh, doing everything he and his team can to take care of this issue. And in seeing all the reports in L.A. County, um, I've got to say I was shocked when I saw that there may be as many as five people a day dying on the streets who are in this situation. And I guess it could be more at this point Um, for our seniors we should be talking about this at any age, right? So, uh, Reverend Bales, we are glad you are with us. Welcome.
0: Yes, welcome.
2: Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we acknowledge that I think 5.5 people per day are dying of homelessness. Uh, the the highest cause of death is overdose deaths, mm-hmm. uh, especially mixed uh, mix of meth and fentanyl right now, uh, but uh, but also just a recent report said that murders of homeless people on the streets are up 47% over last year. And one third of those deaths have come at the hands of cartels and gangs uh, in in the drug trade. So uh, it's very unfortunate that the streets are so dangerous and it's more unfortunate that perhaps 70,000 Angelinos actually have only the streets to live on. Uh, no place to lay their head Uh, no no inside facilities Uh, and it's amazing but we uh we established our hope gardens sequoia house years ago Mm -hmm. we were seeing that senior ladies on skid row were losing their lives they were being stomped uh into the ground, literally, and losing their lives on Skid Row, mm. and um, we changed our plans a bit. We decided to move a lot of our senior ladies out to the safety and peace of Hope Gardens Family Center, 77 acres, uh, out in Silmar in a mountain retreat-like setting. Each has their own bedroom and bathroom, and uh, they, many, uh, many are still there today from the original group, and that was over 15 years ago. They've been really living a life of peace and hope. And that's what I wish for all of our senior ladies. I've had senior ladies here at uh, at the mission tell me that they have five adult children, wow. but uh, none of them want to take care of the, the mom. And so she had to come here for help. We've had families come by and dump off their elderly mom when they couldn't take care of her anymore. I can't judge because maybe physically and, and, uh, monetarily wise, they couldn't take care of their mom, but it's heartbreaking to, to, to see that happen. Um, I just said hi to an elderly gentleman in a wheelchair outside, Jimmy, uh, who came Mm -hmm. and did a fist bump with me and my buddy. And I asked him if he's living inside and he says, no, I'm waiting. They Mm. put me in the a hotel for two weeks but then i got covid and then i went outside to take a smoke and then i i got kicked out so i'm a block down the street from that hotel you never know what the wow. real story is but yeah. they yeah everybody has a different story I, I do have to tell you one time we had some guys from the middle east come
0: mm-hmm.
2: probably seven guys from egypt and saudi arabia they could not believe we had senior ladies in our mission I mean, wow. we had, I think at that time we had 300 senior ladies at our mission and they said, how can this be? Mm-hmm. Heaven starts at mom's feet. Wow. And they were just aghast that any family would allow their mom to fall on such hard times to be staying at the mission. But it's true. We have, we have lots of elderly men and women, and we have lots of young men and women here and families. We we're the only mission that takes care of single men, single women, moms with kids, dads with kids, and two-parent families with kids on Skid Row. And then we have Hope Gardens out at uh, Silmar that has single moms with kids and then a spot for 25 senior ladies. And then we just opened our Angeles house in South L.A. for 86 mm-hmm. families. And within two months, it was, uh, uh, it's completely full. It's
1: full, yeah. Uh, so
2: We Mm -hmm. can't provide enough places to go. And that's the biggest challenge in Los Angeles is we do not have anywhere near the places to go that we need to have. To give you an idea, New York has 100,000 people who are homeless, but only 3,400 on the streets. They make sure everybody has a place to go. We have 86,000 people struggling with homelessness in L.A., but almost 70,000 on the streets, almost 70 uh, more than seventy-two percent of the people hmm. streets. and uh, it's it's unfortunate because more people die of hypothermia in Los Angeles than die in New York City and San Francisco combined. So it's not just the weather that brings people here, keeps people here. That's a myth mm-hmm. uh, that that everybody comes here because of the good weather. Uh, Eighty to ninety percent of the people on the streets of LA are from LA.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what can we do? Because some people listening like, well, it's not my problem or it's something that I'm not responsible for. So do you find that a lot of people just don't want to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable because they don't know what exactly to do? And how do we uh, make sure our leaders in these cities, especially Los Angeles, step up and do something to change this scenario? I
2: would say I've made a, a lifetime of of not only serving people on the streets, but also causing the leaders to be uncomfortable when they when they don't do what needs to be done. Uh, we need to treat this like a FEMA-like crisis that it is, mm-hmm. and provide immediate care, immediate roofs for people's heads, like New York does. I, I shouted out yesterday on a popular radio show that New York needs to be our model, right? They mm-hmm. they uh, they went underground. Uh, subterranean, and into the subways to to count every homeless person in New York. And it was only 3,400. And they did a really good job of counting. And yet, we have 5,000 homeless people on Metro alone Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, and and nearly 70,000 on the streets. So our leaders need to wake up, and perhaps they are waking up. Uh, Every top mayoral candidate has made it is a statement that they're going to treat this like the FEMA-like crisis that it is and provide immediate uh, shelter and care. Uh, recently, federal judge David Carter also ordered the city and came to an agreement with the city to provide 16,000 more units. That provides some hope, and there's hope of uh, also coming to an agreement with the county. But uh, we do have to hold their feet to the fire because we have allowed the, the greatest man-made disaster in the U.S. to happen here on Skid Row. And more than 5,000 people living on the streets in a in a 53-square-block area. Uh, when I lost my leg from a flesh-eating disease from human waste on the sidewalks, there were uh, nine toilets for 2,800 people. Oh my well, goodness. now there's probably 18 toilets for 5,000 people. And mm. there are people struggling. Yesterday at Got a call that a gentleman got stabbed out on the sidewalk and wandered into our building, and we called the paramedics. But that is a daily occurrence, and we we have created the greatest man-made disaster in the U.S., and that's spreading to much of L.A. And it's time uh, that we don't tolerate even one human being being left on our streets, let alone 70 thousands so um, yes
1: this got very personal for you in many ways i mean first let's um that we're going to go back and and talk about how you got started in this line of um, work and concern but you did mention you lost your leg you have lost both legs from what i understand
2: after trying to get around on the one leg for seven years i wore the other leg out and besides that being a type one diabetic for fifty years, hmm. uh, I I lost the other leg, and uh, I did a five k fundraiser though on the weekend and made it all the way around and
1: I saw. with uh,
2: <laughs> some walking sticks. So I hmm. I uh, it took <laughs> me a while, but I made
1: it. <laughs> you are unstoppable. Good, job. So, Good job. so how did, exactly? Awesome yeah. job. So how did you get into this line of work, Reverend Bales?
2: I should have come by it naturally because my dad. My own dad experienced homelessness as a kid from four to 17. His oh my family was much like the families that we work with, but probably even more complicated. Uh, his dad fought in World War I mm-hmm. and uh, had PTSD and, and mostly whistled and drank beer. And his mom ran off when he was nine. There was a picture of him in the Des Moines Register and Tribune praying by his bed. That his mom would return. Uh, When she did return, they would have violent fights. And my dad said blood, he'd know his mom was home because blood would be all over the house. But he said they would jump the freight train in Des Moines, Iowa and travel out on the freight train to California. And my dad tells about one time he was hanging on too tight to his dad's neck as they jumped the train. And his dad said, Carl, you're choking me. And my dad said, "Well, I don't have anything else to hold on to. But My dad's last week on the face of the earth, speaking of elderly, he turned out to be a wonderful, resilient man, worked hard, sent me to college, just a beautiful soul. But his last week on the face of the earth, uh, all he could talk about was the pain and shame and embarrassment of being that homeless kid and uh, Mm -hmm. how much it it harmed him.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: so I should have come about it naturally, but uh, I had big dreams of doing other things. And uh, not until I was teaching school in a Christian school in Des Moines, Iowa, after I'd been a pastor and a youth pastor, I was teaching school and the youngsters weren't treating someone very nice in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And I did what most teachers did I said, knock it off, don't treat someone like that in my classroom. Uh, but then I thought about it. If a youngster who feels like a loser can't find love in this, classroom where in this tough world are they going to find it so i i went home and searched the bible for what i could share that might change their hearts and i came across the verses that said at the end of time uh god is uh going to return and he's going to separate the gather the nations before him he's going to separate the sheep from the goats and to the sheep he's going to say come take your inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world for when i was hungry you fed me and when i was thirsty you gave me drink and when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick and in prison, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Mm-hmm. And the righteous or the sheep are going to say, Lord, when did we ever do that for you? When did we ever feed you? Mm-hmm. And he said, whenever you did it to the least of when these, I translated days. that, to the kids, whenever you did it to the losers of the world, hmm. you yeah. did it to me. So I, I shared with them that I believe the way that you treat another human being is the way that you're treating God himself. And if you turn your back on a hungry person, it's like turning your back on God himself. And if you give a drink to a thirsty person, it's like giving a drink to a thirsty person. And theologians say, I stretched it, but I said, I believe if you say a hurting word to an already hurting person, it's like saying a hurting word to God himself. And, and you, you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, the worst thing right. you can do to a child, the worst thing you can do to a parent is mistreat their child so i really let the kids have it i locked the door they couldn't escape i preached it six times they all heard it once but i heard the message six mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. and that was on a friday and on on the weekends i worked 38 hours at a downtown parking ramp one of those high-rise parking ramps where yeah there's a guy at the bottom taking your tickets and your money Well, i was that guy and i'm sitting there <laughs> after preaching that sermon six times on friday i'm sitting in the in the booth and uh I hear this knock on my window and I look up and here's this man missing his teeth, long, dirty beard, long, dirty coat, bag of soda pop cans slung over his shoulder. I could tell he was living on the streets and he said, sir, can I have your sandwich? Hmm. And of course, after preaching that message six times, I said, I'm sorry, sir, I need my sandwich. Oh. And his face grew with disappointment. He disappeared into the darkness and it felt like a Hammer came out of heaven and said, Andy, you preach this six times on Friday. And when you got a chance to practice it, you missed your chance. That was and your that so, was your
0: test. That was your test. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: <laughs> and I I hoped and prayed for another chance. Right. And I found him on the street several weeks later and fed him dinner. Hmm. And I didn't tell anybody this story because it's embarrassing of failing to practice what you preach. But my missions pastor came up to me in the middle of the hallway and said, Andy. There's a job opening down at the local mission. I think you should go apply. So I, I reluctantly went to apply, thinking I'll never be heard from again. <laughs> but I walked into this mission, and mm-hmm. the food was good. The guys were sober. The place was clean, and I saw it as a chance to practice what I preached. And that was 36 years ago uh, this September, mm. and I just... Wow. Just been trying to practice what I preached ever since. And I can tell you that my failure really caused me to find my passion and find my way in, in, in the world. And I, there's nothing else I, I'd rather do or could do.
3: Yes.
0: Do, do you think that's what really drives you today, your passion and your dedication to uh, homelessness? I mean, because you've seen so much, I'm sure, in your years of doing this service, what keeps you coming back? Yeah,
2: I, I would say something happened in my heart that moment back 36 years ago. Something happened that totally changed me. I used to look through people who were homeless. I used to mm. be able to look through a guy digging out of a dumpster and not feel their pain. But since then, I have been haunted by the thought of one human being living on the streets and I've tried to do everything I can to alleviate that suffering. Uh, I, I don't know what it is I think early on in my life I, I was for the underdog. maybe it came naturally from my dad. he grew up knowing he wasn't better than anybody else. He grew up valuing everybody around him. he, mm-hmm. he must have said something to me because even even as a first grader, A little girl, I remember, I'm still haunted by her face.
0: Mm.
2: A little girl came to to school and the teacher didn't explain it to me, but she just said, this little girl needs help. She's lonely. Why don't you eat lunch with her? And I ate lunch with her and she talked. Well, I I was going to say talked my leg off, but that's not when it happened. (laughs) She talked and talked and talked and I soaked it in. And it must have been something early on, but but then... Uh, then it really developed when I was confronted by the homeless man at the parking lot and uh, and it changed my life Life
3: life-changing moment now did you grow up in Los Angeles County
2: no I grew up in Des Moines even though my dad back and forth he he'd travel by freight train and live in a garage in Compton or a tent in Azusa Canyon but then he'd come back to Des Moines and so I was born in Des Moines I came to college thinking I'd be the Greatest next Billy Graham preacher at Biola University. It was Biola College then, Mm. uh, but I stood up to give my first speech in speech class and passed out against the chalkboard. So then I lost confidence in that. But (laughs) uh, but I became a youth pastor because you can hang out with young people and play softball and run around. And I I did that uh, for five years. But I found out if you want to stay young, you hang around young people, if you want to die young try to keep up with them. So oh. I, I switched <laughs> to being a school
3: Yes, and so, mm-hmm. um, and you're a family man yourself.
2: Yes, I have six kids. We had 25 foster kids.
3: Oh my goodness. And
2: we now have eight grandchildren.
3: That's a blessing, that's beautiful. Now, I think you're keeping tabs on how well LA County handles this issue, but you have made um, Union Rescue Mission Uh, a place where only private donations make your work possible, right? You don't want to take any uh, city or county government money. Can Uh, you explain how that came to be, please?
2: Yes. So we used to take a little money for winter shelter back when there wasn't a lot of interference. But then we decided during the Great Recession that uh, we were paying out like a million dollars in donor dollars, but weren't getting back right. the money from the government to actually do the programs as well. So we dropped out. And I'm glad we dropped out at that time, because now if you take any of the HUD funding, uh, unfortunately, Measure H funding, Measure HHH funding, uh, any of that funding comes with rules that now you have to allow everybody in your building to use alcohol and drugs and and have a free flow of alcohol and drugs in mm. your building even if it's a family apartment building mm. Mm. and that boggles my mind first of all and it's not who we are we are all about recovery and we are all about life transformation not only not only would we not be able to share the faith that we have if we took government money but we wouldn't even be able to maintain a sober environment And I'm telling you, uh, the chaos that ensues inside of the government funded buildings Mm -hmm. is beyond imagination. I was walking with Hal uh, Eisner from Fox News down the sidewalk Mm -hmm. outside. And this guy came running out of one of the permanent supportive housing units. He says, who are you guys? And we told him, and he said, if you want to do something, stop the gangs from moving in to our apartments and displacing us, kicking us out and taking them over and selling drugs from them. And and all I did was tweet what that man Mm -hmm. said. Immediately, activists were attacking me for demonizing gang members. Mm -hmm. And the local gang walked across the street, threatened our our dock worker and said, tell your boss to shut up about us. And rather than shutting up, I called the commander of the police force and they set up in my office and they watched the drug sales going on. And not only did they catch the drug sales, but they caught the supplier uh, at that moment. Mm -hmm. But this is an intentional, huge money-making death spiral that people are on. I shared yesterday that uh, meth wasn't addictive enough. They they destroyed so many people with the meth, the the cheap meth on the streets Mm -hmm. of Skid Row. But... Uh, The cartel hired a guy named The Brain in Mexico to create a synthetic heroin called fentanyl, Mm -hmm. and they added fentanyl to the meth. So now it's more physically addictive, and more people are overdosing than ever before with a mixture of meth and fentanyl. And all of these government rules, in my opinion, just help uh, enable that Mm -hmm. death uh, to, to occur. We just say no to any government money we just built angels house 86 units in south la for 86 families and all private money and we are we're just going to do everything with private money
0: now when now did you, on. when when did you see that introduce with the uh, federal dollars i mean it was more than
2: 10 years ago okay and, and i warned everybody about what was coming uh, with this permanent supportive housing housing first harm reduction model unfortunately california has been all in the only state to be all in only on housing first harm reduction model and meanwhile our street homelessness has skyrocketed and our overall homelessness has increased and, and you know it's it's frustrating because it's it's like uh, let's build a 1.2 million dollar unit that will take 4 years Right. And don't spend any dollars on shelter because uh, you'll waste money on shelter. When we can build a $1.2 million unit in four years while 6,000 people die on the streets, Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't make any sense. We need immediate, immediate shelter and then work on innovative housing.
1: We're back with more stories from Skid Row after this. We're back with stories from Skid Row from Reverend Andy Bales.
2: Just just think about the number that you can magnify uh, with with 1.2 million, how many modular homes or mobile homes or tiny homes or 3D printed concrete homes that can be made for $82,000 per unit or less. Mm -hmm. You could make that one. And then that one unit, it's beautiful, small, but beautiful. And then the alcohol. Drugs are allowed to freely flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I used to say perfect getting in the way of good, but it's not perfect when alcohol and drugs are freely flowing inside. It's right.
1: interesting because um, you're saying that the government would have its hand in many pots, <laughs> right? If you took the government money and um, something that is uh, ethically um, not acceptable, you know, to a, a number of people but profitable to them. And then when you were mentioning about the visitors from the Middle East, I was just in the Middle East in an area where there was no homelessness, people houseless that I saw anywhere. And the residents told me because we can't be here if we're on the streets. To be here, we had to have a job and the government provided housing and land. You have to have a job just to live there. And so that's good as far as security wise, but they also provided housing and land. And I thought, why can't we do that? (laughs) You know, but now that you're saying that this um, is tacked on this alcohol and drugs, which I'm just wondering if they're doing that for the taxes. You know, I I'm, yeah. everything is money driven uh, when I yeah. look at it. So, <laughs> yeah. if they're doing that for the taxes or to keep people in this cycle of need, Depression. I guess, <laughs> and yeah, addiction, yeah. That's that's just not the I, way. I to mean, go. money
0: is a huge industry that they have no intentions of stopping. You know, and it's mm-hmm. a shame that now it's tied into or attached to, from what you're saying, the homeless population in a way that probably wasn't existent before. Would you say that?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, take us back 36 years ago. This was not going on. I mean, they supported recovery. Our government supported transitional housing, which we find is the absolute best. When moms move to Hope Gardens and transitional housing, mm. they have three years to live, go to college, uh, live super affordably, almost free, And they can choose a career. They can be away from any unhealthy relationships. They can focus on their life. We have moms moving out with twelve and seventeen thousand in savings for first, last, and security deposit after getting a college degree, never to be homeless again. And that's what our government doesn't do anymore. They don't believe in transitional housing. They just believe in taking somebody from the streets and giving them an apartment and a key, and the street. Behavior continues right. in the apartment. That's why there's so much difficulty in those uh, those buildings. They prop open the doors so the drug trade can come and go. Uh, you know, and and here's the deal. I, I I'm telling you the truth. Policymakers don't think about what it means to do drug trade. They think it's an innocent uh, activity, whereas. I came back to work because I forgot something one night and my wife came with me and I'm pulling out of our parking lot mm-hmm. and a 400 pound, six foot, six man is beating on a woman. Mm-hmm. And I rolled down my window and said, stop beating on this woman. And he said, she owes us money. Do You get it? I mean, yeah. she owes us money. Terrible. And I said, well, that's no reason to beat on a woman. Stop. And he was on me quickly. I've never seen a big guy move like a and I just got my window up as he punched my window.
1: Wow. And I
2: called our security. They came flying out. He crossed the street, and started taking his coat off. And I said, I think we're still outnumbered guys. But ends up the story. Her boyfriend who lived across the street owed the drug gang money. Mm-hmm. And so the gang was taking it out on her with this big guy. And that's what happens when you don't pay your drug debt. Big guys show up and beat you up. And. Mm-hmm. Why do they think it's some innocent thing? And then surrounding the drug use is lots of crimes, right? I mean, you have to commit crimes every day in order to sustain Mm -hmm. a drug addiction. So if you don't, and I agree, don't criminalize the drug addiction, just criminalize the crime that's committed and then use it as a leverage to get somebody to get help. Uh,
1: so have you had to go toe to toe with the cartel? Uh,
2: not the cartel. I wish I, I wish I could. Cause I, they, they never show up, but, but the gangs I, I have, uh, <laughs> Joel Grover was doing one of his NBC uh, exposes out on the street. And some big guy, I mean, big guy came out and said, uh, uh, get off of our block. And I said, this isn't your block. This is a public block and we're filming and, and, and we're not doing anything. And he grabbed my collar and I grabbed his collar. Mm. And this was after I lost the leg, but I, I didn't care. And uh, Joel and his camera person ran. Oh. And they didn't catch any <laughs> of it on camera.
1: Oh, no. But
2: this this homeless man got out of his tent. He's like 5'10", maybe 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. and to be a professional boxer. He said, leave these good people alone. They're not hurting anybody. And he... Hit this guy. I didn't even see his fist. Wow! He hit this big guy and just knocked him out. Wow! And I mean, I, I thought, how in the world did God just save me by a guy who's mentally ill mm-hmm. on the streets, but probably a former professional boxer came to my rescue
1: at the right time?
2: Uh, it, it was unbelievable. But but Joel and his camera person didn't get any of it because it was too. Too scary.
1: Too scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh. they fled
0: on foot. No. Oh, Joel. Um, so we won't live <laughs> it down. Come on. You know. I don't know. Sometimes journalists need to have a little bit more more teeth. Yeah, I um, think, think we do, Bryant. I think we. Uh, do, yeah, Bryant. that's why we're talking about these kinds of <laughs> subjects. You know, and w- going back to the senior population because that really grabs me. I'm thinking if you're in your 70s and 80s and older. There's no way in the world you should be living in a tent or not having a tent in a big, rich, wealthy city like Los Angeles and anywhere else in California. Come on now.
2: I, I met a little lady. You know, I met a little lady years ago. I think she was in the uh, the film Soloist. If you watch that again, Yeah. she she uh, actually told me. They broke my ribs last night. I got romance last night and they broke my ribs. This is a sweet little senior lady. Mm. I had a friend call me Saturday night and then Sunday. She found a man who had memory loss, who'd been wrongly released from a care home Mm. and was wandering the streets, not knowing where his home was with a wound that needed care. And they should not have released him because of his wound she drove him to Union Rescue Mission, found out we can't provide care for that kind of a a situation. And then she was on her way to VA and she was aghast at uh, what she saw on Skid Row. She could not believe. But that's what I I was going to say earlier. You asked me a couple questions. I didn't answer the other. We need families to look out for their seniors. That's what we need the Mm -hmm. most. Don't don't neglect your parents or your aunts or your uncles don't let them fall on the streets we've got to do a better job in los angeles especially
3: yeah but look after your relatives though reverend at any cost some people really don't get along with their relatives no matter how old they are and shut the door literally i don't know there's a lot of intergenerational complications it seems
2: there's a lot of complications, but <laughs> we, we need some renewed tolerance and grace for our parents. And, there, you know, there's there's a promise. It's one commandment where there's a promise that if you uh, take care of your parents and honor your parents, you will live a long life. And I think I think that yep. might be that yep. that uh, your kids will see you taking care of your parents oh. so that when <laughs> you get old, your kids will actually take care of that makes you. Sense. And uh. right. That's the way I interpret that, but uh, yeah. I'm hoping that my kids will see how how we've taken in my mom, and when my dad had a stroke, I drove back to Des Moines and picked him up from the hospital and drove him all the way back to California, and we moved him in with us. We need to, we, especially in California, we need to do a better job of looking out for our for our seniors.
3: Do you talk about Skid Row? The real estate of it all, the different demographics that are involved with who's actually living on Skid Row and who interacts with them. And are there businesses there and any plans for development? It seems like you know Skid Row very well.
2: Well, there have been businesses here. Most of the fish business that was here, very strong, has been run off by the misbehavior uh, that's been allowed on the streets and you know developers think hey we'll just we'll just wait and we'll come in and sweep the place and we'll buy it up and and take over uh but that's not the way to go about this that there needs to be a real intentional uh decentralizing of services and regionalizing of services throughout la county to Mm -hmm. uh to finally put an end to the Mm -hmm. suffering on skid row but it can't just be a sweep of people to nowhere and then a redevelopment and and sometimes businesses are impatient Uh, and unfortunately our city still is putting more people on skid row in housing in the kind of housing where the alcohol and drugs freely flows and my peers around me who run those agencies admit it's getting worse every day Mm. and I told them it's getting worse because you're You're making it worse. You're making it more dense. Uh, You're bringing in more people than has ever been here before. And you're allowing uh, these policies by the government to destroy this area. Even when Rick Caruso uh, mentioned that he was going to build, I think the media mentioned that he was going to build 30,000 units on Skid Row. I called him and I said, don't build 30,000 units on Skid Row. Build 30,000 units throughout LA County Hmm. for people on Skid Row. Right. People who are homeless, but do not further cent, uh, centralize services on Skid Row. The corralling containment of Skid Row people of color on Skid Row is part of the federal judge David Carter's lawsuit, and uh, and that's what's been done wrong. We we need to stop doing the corralling and containment and figure out how to decentralize and regionalize services.
3: Makes sense.
0: So, so let's just say we're forecasting the future, if you will looking at the next 3 to 5 to 10 years mm-hmm. what do you see
2: well if they keep the status quo if they if they don't have the courage to reverse this situation and they keep the status quo we're going to be in so much trouble we can't even imagine you know, how how in the world we're we going to hold the olympics if there's over a 100,000 people devastated by homelessness in in Los Angeles right. if they if they come through with some of their promises that we are going to immediately provide shelter and care for uh, a huge number of people. And if they bring back recovery instead of the harm reduction, free flow of alcohol and drugs, we have a chance, but honestly, next three to five years are going to, are going to tell us because uh, some of the housing folks around here are losing their insurance because it's gotten so dangerous on skid row hmm. uh, that could happen even to us that it gets so dangerous i mean you know hmm. when your employees watch a man stumble in from outside who's just been stabbed yes that makes them apprehensive about coming to work
3: right
2: and that's happening in every agency on skid row their their workers are uh, i heard about next door over here Uh, I won't name the agency, but somebody put their cigarette out on one of their security guards on their skin and threatened them. Hmm. I mean, how long will employees tolerate that kind of danger and, and threat and misbehavior? So these elections coming up are going to be crucial.
0: We'll be back. And we're back with more from our guest, Reverend Andy Bales of Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles.
1: What would you say? The average lifespan is of someone who does not get assistance on the street.
2: I've seen and heard that twenty-eight years are taken off. I think, especially a woman's life, if she's left on the streets and, and homeless. It, it, it takes it can take almost thirty years off your life by being left on on the streets, and and that's why you know five point five people are dying per day. No other city comes close. To that kind of death rate, no city comes close to leaving people on the streets like Los Angeles does. And I, and I always say that that's the most accurate barometer of how bad our failure right. to address homelessness is in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, the the best, most accurate barometer is the death, the death rate, rate, 5.5 people per day.
0: So just so we understand this, uh, it seems like you have a real holistic approach to fixing Mm -hmm. uh, this perpetual uh, dilemma of homelessness for people.
2: Yeah, they come in, we welcome them, we make them feel safe. We just hired a guy, uh, a new COO who's going to make sure to bring the kind of hospitality we've always hoped for. He used to run the Mandarin hotels, uh, uh,
3: five-star hotels
2: uh, all over the world. And uh, we're going to welcome people with a with you know, right now, maybe the best meal on Skid Row, I want to get, I want to get to a higher level of a, a good meal. But then yeah. we have uh, mental health counseling through Pepperdine University, final year psychology students supervised by a psychologist. We have medical care through uh, LA Christian Healthcare Center right here on the spot. We have uh, a learning center. So people can, if they don't have a high school degree, can obtain it and even go to college. Um, we have a dental clinic, so people who have struggled with uh, addiction or other issues with their teeth can get a brand new set of teeth and go out and smile and and get a job. We have work therapy, uh, we have career uh, help. We we've, we've helped people find jobs, and many of our folks have uh, kept their jobs after finding their jobs. We have physical education. We have a coach. Um, it it really is. We try to do. A holistic approach in everything that we do we really believe that people can bounce back they don't need a perpetual right permanent supportive housing situation where they kind of give up on life they can bounce back and and become brand new and become world changers like and that's what we hope for uh that that happens with our moms mm-hmm. and kids
1: Amazing. This is amazing that uh, you've opened up these facilities, open up your heart, of course, for decades. Um, it's been a pleasure to meet you, Reverend Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. And if volunteers want to reach you, how do they reach yeah.
2: you? URM.org or uh, even better, they can send an email to me at A-B-A-L-E-S at URM.org. Yes.
0: Thank you. And make sure to take the time to visit our website at BeforeYouGo.tv for more updates to this show and previous episodes.
1: That's BeforeYouGo.tv.
0: And as we like to say, before we go...
1: We want to remind everyone that people in need are sometimes closer than you think.
0: Yes, so take the time to show love, help one another, and do what we can for our neighbors, family, and friends.
1: There's no time like the present. What What a a gift. gift.